Okay, it's been a busy morning, but it's been a good morning in regards to everything that's taken place this morning. And if you haven't figured out, I left my Bible down there, but that's okay. I, I type in all the scriptures when I, when I preach and set the sermon together. No, it's okay. I always read from here. Anyhow, now you know it was always there for show because I had my, my notes the whole time in regards to that. But it was open to the right book every time, so don't fear that. Okay, so it's been a busy morning, but I did promise you I would get through the post-it note series. So tonight we will do, we will do Obadiah. For those that, it won't be quite the same as the sermon this morning, but we will get through Obadiah tonight. And this morning we will finish Jude. You don't have anything to do to one, do you? Okay. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this morning, for this opportunity to gather together. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks truth into our lives. We thank you that it speaks down through the ages, that it's never changing. We can anchor our lives in it. We can anchor our eternities in your word. Father, this morning, help us to clear the thoughts. We rejoice in the baptisms, but clear away the clutter from last week and the concern for the future that we can focus in on what you have for us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. (coughs) So if I cough, I'm sorry, I'm not contagious. So the letter of Jude. So if you're not there already, it's second to last book in the Bible. We've been there for a couple of weeks. And as I did, I promised we'd finish it. And I want to start off with verses 3 and 4 of Jude because they set the the tone for the whole letter for us. So listen as I read. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who perverted the grace of our Lord or of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude gives us right up front the reason for the letter. Ungodly, false, or apostate people had entered the church. And he instructs us to contend for the faith. Now that is a struggle, that contending for the faith. It's the same instructions that echo down through the ages to us here this morning at Forest Baptist Church. See, the advent of social media and the internet have brought into the palms, I don't have my phone with me, but have brought into the palms of our hands false teaching. I brought into the palms of our hands false philosophies that stand in the face of God. One of the philosophies that we have to face that is being taught in our schools and is being taught in other centers of learning is critical theory. Now, there is not enough time this morning to talk about all that needs to be said when it comes to critical theory, except a couple of things. One, it's not biblical. Two, I have some summer reading for you. The summer reading would be looking at one of the best scholars I know, and he's on a number of podcasts too where he discusses books and he discusses critical theory and and biblical understanding of that philosophy. Is a man by the name of Christopher Watkins. I believe he's an Aussie. But he's one of the better scholars. So if you have some time this summer, Christopher Watkins wrote a book called Biblical... It's a long title, so I've got to read it. Biblical Critical Theory... 
how the Bible's unfolding story makes sense of modern life and culture. It's only 672 pages. So, <clears throat> it's, it's shorter than some. Um, it also comes in an ebook or it comes in Audible. But that would be well worth it. It was published last November. Uh, and it's just a great read. It's a great listen. I've listened to a lot of his podcasts, and I hope to listen to the book this summer myself from beginning to end. But it's this stuff that we're faced, and it's to this that Jude says, you need to contend for the faith. You need to fight for the faith. You need to struggle for the faith. And sometimes life is a struggle. And sometimes our Christian walk can be a struggle. It's not always going to be easy to the five that were baptized, as the rest of us know. It's not always easy. And you have to struggle, and you have to contend, and you have to fight for it. Now, for me, when I, heard, when I hear the word contend, I get images in my mind. And one of those images is of a speech that was written and spoken in June 4th, 1940. We shall go on to the end and we shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight in the, on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island, or a large part of it, were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, <clears throat> the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to rescue and the liberation of the old. Of course, that was Winston Churchill right after the miracle of Dunkirk, where they rescued some 338,000 men from the shores of France in World War II. That is the fortitude. That is the fortitude to which the church must contend for the faith. It's that fortitude that you and I need in these days to contend for the faith and follow Christ. Jude paints for us a picture that should motivate each believer. He describes for us what it means to contend for a pure church, for the pure bride of Christ. Now thankfully in this section, Jude uses a lot of lists which is going to make it a little easier for us to go through. Verses 12 and 13, he characterizes the false or apostate teachers that have crept into the church and have continued through the centuries to creep into the church. Let's pick up where we left off last week, verses 12 and 13. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. As they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, 
wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been, re- has re- been reserved forever. <coughs> the warning here, and it is a warning. So if you're a boater, you'll know this. If you come across a hidden reef and it catches the hull of your boat, and cause a lot of damage. It can even sink a vessel. But to indicate that that danger was so close for the people that Jude was writing, he writes that these hidden reefs participate. These dangers attend their love feast. Now the term love feast is only found here in Jude. And it appears to... To signify a shared meal, probably a shared meal for those in the community who would have been poor, and it was preceded by or followed by, depending how they were doing it, with the Lord's Supper. And Jude describes these hidden reeves, what they're like. First, one, they're without fear. These individuals are brazen. Despite their actions and their beliefs, they participate in the church And they're not that concerned with being exposed or found out. Two, they're shepherds feeding themselves. So when we think of a shepherd, well, Phil was a great example of this. When we think of a shepherd, they tend for the sheep, just like the little kids were following around. And and they would feed them first. But that's not what these shepherds are like. They feed themselves. They're concerned only for themselves. Now, the next few could carry a a, a subtitle. We could caption it, Promise Blessings, Deliver Emptiness. So third, they're, they're like waterless clouds swept along by the winds. <clears throat> so Thursday, we've been, we've been in a bit of a dry spell. That's no, we prayed for rain here. It's no secret. So Thursday, I was in the backyard for a few minutes doing some stuff, and I looked up and I thought, not going to have to water the garden. This is great. I could see those clouds coming. Well, instead of bursting forth with rain and water to us, the clouds were a bus and they just blew by. That's what these people are like. They're, they're waterless clouds swept along by the winds. They're empty. There's nothing inside. Fourth, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. So you you expect in the fall to be able to pick a few apples. But it's saying you go to the tree and there's no apples. And not only is there no apples, a windstorm kicks up and guess what happens? The tree topples over. It's uprooted. There's no fulfillment to your expectation. Fifth, they're wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. So, go down to Lake Huron here. I'm assuming you guys do. You're lucky enough to live close to it. So, go down to Lake Huron on a windy day. And you can see the waves crashing. You can see the water foaming. And when it calms down, what's left on the beach Just a bunch of garbage and debris. That's what these people are like. Six, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved 
forever. Now, this one's a little harder to understand. It's likely a reference back to verse 6 when it talked about the angels that sinned and were doomed to gloomy darkness until the day, until the judgment of of the great day. So he gives us six descriptions of six descriptions of them. So after painting this vivid picture for us of those who kept have crept into the church, Jude then turns to pronouncing judgment on them. See, they may have thought they were getting away with things. They may have thought, I'm okay, but that's only for the moment. Because that's something that we think today. We look at some people and we think, When is God going to judge them? And they think to themselves, hey, I'm getting away with it. But we can be very short-sighted. How easily it is to forget about eternity. Look with me to verses 15 and 16. Jude quotes a a well-known book. It's a Jewish book. It's called the Book of Enoch. Now, the book itself is comprised of several sources from the 3rd century all the way through to the 1st century AD. So 3 BC, 3rd century BC, all the way through to the 1st century AD. <coughs> no, it's not part of canon. That's fine, because Jude quotes it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he feels that these words in verses 14 and 15 apply to the false teachers. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, and it doesn't say, but I kind of wonder if he was thinking of the flood in mind, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The emphasis is on judgment, on all the ungodliness or wickedness that there was. And Jude uses that word all four times. He also uses the word or a form of the word ungodly four times. So look back at the verse with me. To execute judgment on all. And to convict all the ungodly or wicked of all their deeds of ungodliness or wickedness that they have committed in such an ungodly or wicked way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly or wicked sinners have spoken against him. In quoting Enoch, it echoes what Paul said in Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. In the end, in the end, it all will be judged. They may appear successful But that success is only for a season. And then there'll come judgment. Well, Jude pivots here. Jude pivots to describing the ungodly, the apostate again, and the false teacher. Those who have crept in their midst and who creep into our midst. And Jude writes this not only for an intention of getting us to open our eyes to make sure we're looking around us 
to see who may have crept in. But I think there's an element of Jude saying to us, hey, do some self-retrospection here. Look at yourself and see if you have fallen prey to these false teachings. If you have been suckered into them, have come under their spell. Are you beginning to act like an apostate? Have you been snared by their teachings? Look at Jude's further, further description of these false teachers, these apostates in verse 16. These are grumblers, male contents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters. I like this verse. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. That's not a list you want to be on. So let's look at it. Grumblers. Complainers. If that's all you have to offer the church, one must wonder who you follow. If all you have to offer is complaining, one must wonder who you follow. James 5, 9 says this, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Then there's the word male contents. I could spend a lot of time here because this is a good description of the culture to which we are called to minister to. A person who is a male content is, is someone who is often disapproving. They're a person who is always or, or often very unhappy and they're angry about something. And if you watch the news or on social media, you see a lot of male contents. They always seem to be seething just below the surface and angry. Next, following their own sinful desires. There's no self-control. They're not submitting to the truth of Scripture. They want to have it their way. Loud mouth boasters. This is another one we could park on for a while. Parents, you have a difficult task because our culture raises people to be loudmouth boasters. Our culture worships at the feet of self-esteem. Everybody gets a ribbon. Don't keep score. Let's push the kids through school. Tell them they're right. They don't need to be disciplined at home and try to discipline a kid in school. Children can choose their gender. The list could go on. The fact is, our culture creates loudmouth boasters. For the follower of Christ, our, our self-esteem, where is it found? Our self-esteem is found in the fact that we were created in the image of God. Our self-esteem rests on the fact that God sent His love toward us. Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that God set His love on us. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 
our self-worth comes from God's, that we're image bearers of God and that He has set His love on us and sought us out. Showing favoritism to gain advantage. <coughs> not, not treating people with respect. I enjoy coming down on Mondays. Not because my office gets stuffed with little stuffed animals. But that's, that's just an extra bonus of having been here for a few years. I enjoy watching the men and women who help out on Monday interact with people. Interact with people and treat them with respect and love. I won't embarrass the folks that are here this morning that I see that are there on Mondays when I'm here. Regardless of what they look like, what background they come from, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, we've had some rough people come through who've needed help. And they treat them all with respect. They treat them all with dignity. They take the time to talk to them. <clears throat> they take the time to share the church with them. They hand out stuff. They help. What happens on Monday should happen on Sunday. So no matter how someone dresses when they come through that door, or smells, or talks, or whatever they drive to get into the parking lot to come here or walk here, it shouldn't matter. We should not treat people hoping to gain favor on the other side from them. We should treat people with respect and dignity because they too are image bearers of Jesus Christ. They're God's image is upon them. He created them. And you and I need to treat them with respect and kindness and love. No one should get preferential treatment. Now Jude does this subtle transition in verse 17. Inserting a reminder that none of what he's writing about should catch any of us off guard. It, it, we should not be unaware of what has been said in the past. Every follower should know this because it's been said before. Look at verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the influx of these false teachers, these apostates, were predicted. Even Jesus himself, I know he's not one of the apostles, but he even said it in the Sermon on the Mount, which we talked about last year. Verses 15 and 16 from Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And then Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul again speaks of this in First and Second Timothy. Peter speaks of it in both of his epistles. And the list could go on. 
The point is, the battle is spiritual. The enemy wants to infiltrate the church. And the news of that should catch no one off guard. Now they say the key to education is is repetition. And Jude repeatedly in this letter describes for us what these apostates are like. This time he quotes a warning from others. Uh, This is important. Jude is saying, listen, this is important that you know what they're like. Listen, you need to be able to recognize them. Listen, here's what they look like. Look at verses 18. They said, so the apostles told you, they said in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Scoffers. They use ridicule and scorn to show contempt. And yes, this happens within the, not necessarily this church, but it happens within the church. I have been scorned by those that I know that attend progressive churches for my beliefs and for standing for truth and not separating truth from love. Following ungodly or wicked passions. Passions is defined as a, a wicked desire for the immoral and sinful. So they will follow those things. We might not know about it right away, but it will come out in the end. Think of the number of pastors that have stood behind pulpits over the last decade that you could begin to name that followed these passions and went astray, and some took many with them. Causing division. I know I mentioned already, but critical theory is a serious issue with the church. Within critical theory, it captures a lot of different things. But there are some that have been taken captive by it and they take whole churches away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've not followed the states, the United Methodist Church is going through a huge split right now. It's been in the courts as they've tried to untangle property and everything. One wants to chase after critical theory and and gender theory and queer theory. And the other one wants to hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't want to divorce truth from love. It's a mess. Causing divisions. Worldly people. People who are worldly minded without the Spirit, capital S. And if that wording isn't plain enough for us and for the reader, that these apostate teachers are not believers Jude leaves no room for error in verse 19. Devoid of the Spirit. Or as the New Living says, they do not have God's Spirit in them. Romans chapter 8, verses 9, you would read this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to you. Him. Jude does the church a great favor by painting this vivid picture for us of who to watch out for. 
to understand these individuals that would seek to get us off track. We must remember to be alert, to be watchful. The reason these people infiltrate the church, and they infiltrate the church because they look a lot like us. A matter of fact, they, they, they talk like us. And through the years, the church has been slapped on the wrist for judging people. We talked about what that verse meant a while ago in, in, in Matthew. But they equate judging with discernment. And then they say all judgment's bad. Well, that's not true. That's not what the Scripture teaches us. You cannot separate love from truth. You cannot throw out discernment, which means proper judging. You must hold on to that. But we're not to do it with a judgmental attitude. So how do we protect ourselves? Jude doesn't leave us off there and just end it. He pivots one more time. Look at verses 20 through 23. As he gives the follower of Christ another list, a list of imperatives, our response to the reality of what is around us, to the reality of what is within the church. Look at verses 20 through 23. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who, have, who doubt Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So Jude concludes the short letter by a series of imperatives for us. Things that you and I are to do. That we're to follow. But you, beloved, or you could say it this way, rather you act this way. The follower of Christ needs to be characterized differently. He gives us a different list to follow. He tells us how we can contend for the faith. First, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Know the Word. Study the Word. Pay attention so you're not so easily fooled. One of the ways the enemy traps us Perhaps believers, by those who infiltrate, they use some of the same words that we do. But they use different meanings. You always, always have to define terms to understand what's being said. Another is context, context, context. It's probably my most favorite word after has said. Context, context, context. I had to get his head in somehow. Because if you can read one verse, you can make that verse say almost anything you want. If you take one verse out of the context of not only the Scripture, but the historical, grammatical use of that verse, you can say a lot of things that are not true. We need to know the Word of God. We need to know what it teaches us. We need to understand you cannot separate love from truth. Praying in the Holy Spirit. 
Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end or to the end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. I firmly believe for some, the misunderstanding of God's sovereignty leads them to not pray as much. So why pray if, if God's going to do what God's going to do? What, what does it matter? Does he really answer prayer? Well, I firmly believe God is sovereign and God is sovereign of this universe. But I also believe that God wants to hear from us. Otherwise, why did he teach the disciples to pray? And why so, so many commands in Scripture for us to pray? Here's ten of them. Matthew 5.44 Pray for those who persecute you. Matthew 6.10 Pray for the kingdom of God to come. Matthew 6.11 Pray for provision. Matthew 6.13 Pray to overcome temptation. Luke 11.4 Pray for forgiveness. Confession of sin. Ephesians 6, 18 and James 5, 16. Pray for all your brothers and sisters in Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Pray for the spread of the gospel. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Pray for all the people, including earthly rulers. James 5, 1, 5. Pray for wisdom. And James 5.13, pray for perseverance. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How? By waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So not only are we to be constantly in prayer before the Lord, we're to keep our minds on the fact that Christ will return. That Christ is going to come back one day. It's just not something far off. It's a reality that we need to live our lives with. What a thing to ground ourselves in. The anticipation of Christ's return. And if we could get that understanding, if we could live the moment and understand at that moment Christ could return, it would likely change how we live our lives day to day. It would cause us to think. The imperatives continue, but now the focus changes a little bit changes to how we treat those who have suffered from the false teachers who have been dragged or maybe ensnared by their teaching have mercy on those who doubt show mercy to the one who struggles with doubt the the greek denotes the idea of the one who hesitates or wavers please please don't be self-righteous with the one who struggles or hesitates. Come alongside of them. Encourage them gently. There's a lot of false teaching out there. And it can be confusing. Especially for a new Christian. So please. Don't just lower the boom on them. Be gentle with them. Not harsh. Be gentle and persuasive and patient. Your correction. It may take time. And remember. Remember. 
there is a vast difference between disciplining somebody and teachable moments. Too often we want to discipline and we want to come down hard and they are teachable moments. There are moments to come alongside somebody and say, hey, can we have a conversation? That's what it's talking about here. For the son that doubts, wavers, they need encouragement. They don't need discipline. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Well, this person has slid into the deception. Deliberate action is needed. The last two represent people who we can easily give up on. But in Jude, he encourages us that it's never too late. From James chapter 5, 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Jude goes on, to, to others show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Galatians is probably the best commentary on that verse. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, where Paul writes this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should... I like the word here. It isn't discipline. It isn't lower the boom on them. What does it say? You should... Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So if the person is still walking and breathing and living, there's time to see someone come to Christ. I'm reminded of the thief on the cross. There is no time for catechism classes. There is no time for baptismal classes. There wasn't even time for a baptism. However, he believed. In dealing with the apostate, those who have fallen under the influence, there's a warning. The warning is this. Lust is powerful. Whether it's lust for power itself, whether it's lust for money, or whether it's lust for sex, lust is tempting. Many a person has fallen under the influence of lust in one of these areas. And that is why it is so important for you and me to contend for the faith. We're contending for the purity of the doctrine of the church and it is important. That's why you and I need to be on guard all the time. We need to be in the Lord, with the Lord in prayer. We need to be in His Word. We need to be gathering together as believers. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight for the faith. We shall fight in our churches and in our homes. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength from the Holy Spirit. We shall defend our faith, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight for our children's sake. We shall fight on our knees in prayer. We shall fight in the halls of academia. We shall fight for the purity of His bride, the church. We shall never surrender. Father, thank you for your word. 
Father, as we contend for the faith, give us a passion for truth. Help us never, ever to divorce truth from love. Father, help us to be an encouragement to one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.